It's a great privilege for Ruth and I to be here with you on this wonderful anniversary. And I really can't start any other way but by saying that there are many people around the world today that have gratitude for this church. I've been surprised at the people in my travels that I've met in all kinds of places who have been here or visited here, been to the conventions here, been to the church here, and have expressed what it has meant to them, the ministry of this church. It's certainly been true for Ruth and me as well, and uh, it's with great thankfulness to the Lord that we are privileged to be with you on this 140th anniversary. Uh, we kind of got... I got connected with this church uh, just a little bit over 60 years ago, so I followed the, and tracked with you a long time. The fact is, uh, next month is the anniversary of Ruth and I walking down the aisle here uh, to be married, and that was uh, a great occasion, and we had no idea as we walked out of the church that it was going to mean at this time 15 grandchildren, four of them married, and now some great-grandchildren, and uh, we have been greatly blessed. And uh, part of that, I want to tell you, for us, has been the precious reminder time and time again of this church praying for us as a family. We've had that rare experience, to be truthful, of the prayer backing of all of those years, and what's been true for us, I know, has been true for many of you here I, I just rejoiced this morning to see all the children here. What a blessing. I can think of a lot of churches across Australia that would give their right arm to have this many children in their services. You are blessed indeed. And at the same time, you have an ongoing responsibility which you have delivered in very wonderful ways. I've been greatly blessed in uh, recent years in working alongside of uh, Trevor Adams, he's uh, been the chairman of the Bethel Funerals, uh, of which I was involved in getting started, and uh, what a blessing that has been. It continues to be a blessing, and uh, it's nice to have Jeff here this morning, one of our old staff members, and uh, we have uh, just completed, uh, I think it's about 10,000 funerals, and it's been a non-profit organization, and now we've given over $3 million to missions. And that's an extension in some ways of this fellowship because if you've prayed for us, prayed for Trevor, uh, we've worked together. Does that excite you? Oh, I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working with Roger Lang and Roger and I have been involved in a very special way. We uh, were able, uh, through a training program we had in Wycliffe uh, many years ago, uh, we offered this training program to the Operation Mobilization Mission to, to, for training leaders. And uh, we trained them. Uh, we had the first course in Belgium. And they said, uh, yeah, we like that, but we didn't get it quite the first time. Would you do it a second time? So our Wycliffe team went over and we did it the second time. At the end of the second time, they said, we still didn't get it. You kind of train in a very unique and different way. They said, would you do it again? So we did it the third time. At the end of the third time, they said, we don't want it. And I said, I can't believe you people. They said, no, we don't want it by ourselves. We want you to stay with us. Little did we know that here we are 20 years later. Roger and I just have come back from Thailand where we're meeting with 
23 marvelous leaders that God has raised up, leader trainers, with over 100 other trainers around the world, and uh, we have trained in this, this time 3,000 leaders. That's been an extension of you in a very real sense. Roger and I have often said together as we've traveled together, been together, taught together, what a blessing this church has been to us as we look back and think of all that you've invested in us as you've prayed for us. And uh, that one off course right now in Thailand this week is our 100th course. And we're running about seven and eight courses a year. What a blessing to see these young leaders who have been asked to lead, many of them without any training, to be able to invest in their lives and help them. And we've seen some marvellous, marvellous results from that. In a very real sense, today is a a very sad day. And uh, there's probably not many people in this room that some way or another were not affected by the loss that happened during the First and the Second World Wars. Terrible. Unbelievable. They figured that there was something around 61,000 soldiers that were killed in the First World War. Something like 40,000 killed in the Second World War. I'm talking about Australians. Something that was devised from evil men, cruel men, men of pride, men hunger for power, and this is what they did. And that's saying nothing about the millions of people that were affected because of the impact of the war on just civilians. It's a sad, sad story. So on the one side, we've got that sad story. We thank God that we have the freedom today, as Bob reminded us rightly, a freedom that's just hanging on a thread today in our society, one that we as God's people need to be praying about and working towards that we might uh, be able to see the influence of godly impact in our society. We are living in very incredible, incredible days. But, you know, I would like to flip over from the sadness and the cruelty of that to another 11th of the 11th, 1934, the same day back there in 1934, Cameron Townsend, the man who was the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, he had gone to the border of Mexico, believing that God wanted him to go into Mexico with his colleague, Mr. Lecters, so that they might translate the scriptures for the languages in, in Mexico. When they got to the border, the, uh, the newspaper from Dallas had reached Mexico before they did, and discovered that he wanted to come as a Bible translator and Mr. Lexus as a preacher, and so they wouldn't let them in. In a very amazing set of circumstances, which I don't have time to recite this morning, it worked out that Townsend and Lexus and that little group of five people were told that they could go into Mexico if Lexus paid a $5,000 bond that he wouldn't preach, and that Townsend would pay a $5,000 bond that he wouldn't learn a language. Pretty hard to do translation if you can't learn the language. I would have gone home. But no, Townsend said, this is what God wants us to do. We will go in. And so they went in to Mexico, and they had no idea, those five people, 
that here now, all the, these years later, on the 11th of 11th, around the world, Wycliffe has a day of prayer to thank God for what he did in opening up that. Now we're working in many, many, many countries. And we, if we were to estimate, there are millions of people today that have the word of God because of the 11th of the 11th. Isn't that wonderful? And God's still opening up doors. One of the most exciting things for me today is the way that our modern technology, technology is letting us minister to deaf people. In our world today, there's something like 300 million deaf people. Those 300 million will never hear the gospel because they can't hear. At the same time, in our world today, if I were to ask you to guess how many sign languages there are, I'm sure you'd be amazed to hear that there's over 400 that we've discovered. 400 sign languages. And so now we've got a team that's working in these sign languages. You have to learn the sign language, and of course the sign language doesn't always correlate with the actual said language. So they have to learn. And then they're able to put that on a video and uh, to be able to tell the New Testament by sign language. Does that excite you? It's a little better. <laughs> I'm amazed. And God is using these young fellows, and two of them we got down to Kangaroo Ground, brilliant young men in the whole area of technology, and they're working the technology to be able to put these things together so that we might be able to reach these people who otherwise will never hear. As Townsend drove over the border into Mexico, that little group of five, they sat down and they read the scriptures together and they read from the daily light. And uh, the passage of scripture they read was from Exodus chapter 23. And this was the verse. It says this, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. To them, that was the most wonderful, wonderful promise and insight. Here they'd come in, they'd been told they couldn't learn a language, they'd been told they couldn't preach, and here they read this magnificent promise where it says, Behold, I am sending my angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I prepared. And they rejoiced that God had taken them in and was going before them. I'd like us to look at this verse because in some ways I believe it's very appropriate at the 140th anniversary, it's a time to reflect. It's a time to think back. It's a time to say, God has blessed us and we need, as we think of those blessings, and you know, if, if we could do this 140th ceremony, like they would do it in Papua New Guinea or in parts of Asia, we wouldn't just come to the church service this morning. We'd have a week together. And we're all telling our stories. And there's some fabulous stories in this room of what God has done in saving you and giving you leading in your life. And this has been a precious place. We ought to hear those testimonies. We don't hear them enough. Because, you see, it's the testimony of what God has done that gives us the faith to trust him for something that we're looking for in the future. And just as those, that little five group, they realized what God had done in opening the door to going to Mexico, solidly a country that wanted nothing to do with the Bible, 
And yet God took them into that country. And they began to see God going before them in amazing ways. And so it was that uh, to uh, illustrate just what God wants to do just in little ways that become big ways. So Townsend, for instance, he went out to live in a village. And when he lived out in the village, he wasn't allowed to learn the language because he had already said he wouldn't do that. So what did he do? He decided to help the people grow better vegetables and and a better garden. And uh, I've been to the village, and of all things, there's about five acres of Australian gum trees there. Where he got them from, I don't know, but it sure made me feel at home. And as he lived with the people there, he saw what the, what the president was doing, the president of the country who was a pro-communist. And uh, he realized that he really loved the Indian people. So Townsend wrote him a letter and said, I want to affirm you in what you're doing, Mr. President. That's really a wonderful you're doing. Well, as a matter of fact, Mexico and America were locked into battle at that particular time in 1935-36. And the president said to himself, how could some American living in my country be saying something good about me when the rest of the country wants to pull me apart? So he said, I'm going to go and see him, the president. So the president got in his a model Ford. I was glad to hear that was one of your early pastors had an A model Ford. We'd all, some of us fellows would like an A model Ford today. I would anyway. <laughs> he went out in his A model Ford, met with the with the uh, with Townsend, and he looked at what Townsend was doing with his garden. He said, "You know, that's amazing." He said, "I'd love people to help people like that." And Townsend said, "You know, Mr. President, you can't talk to these people because you don't know their languages." We'd like to reduce their languages to writing and help them to read, and we want to give them the scriptures. And uh, the president said, do you have people who would do that? Oh, Townsend said, I've got a lot. He didn't have one. But that was a faith statement. It was a faith statement that God would do it. So he went back to America and started recruiting. And then when, when he brought them, he'd take them down to Mexico City. And the first thing he'd do would be introduce him to the, to the president, take these kids. They'd never met the mayor back home, but here they're going to the president's residence. And so they would meet. And Townsend built up this relationship. Townsend's first wife passed away. Sometime later, Townsend fell in love with Elaine who had been a school inspector in Chicago, who had already met the president because he had taken her there. So he goes along to the president and said, Mr. President, he said, I've just become engaged to Elaine. Do you remember Elaine? Oh, he said, I remember Elaine. And he said, uh, I was just wondering if you'll be free on such and such a day. And he said, uh, to his secretary, am I free that day? He said, what do you have in mind, Townsend? He said, I was wondering if you'd come to our wedding. To the president. And the president said, Townsend? I'd be delighted to come to your wedding. And Townsend said, I just have one more request. He said, would you be willing to be best man at my wedding? <laughs> what I want to get across today is that God uses little things out of this church to bless and multiply, and you don't know where it's going to stop. I want you to be encouraged. Well, Townsend didn't have any family by his first wife, and then God gave him a little daughter, and he was so thrilled about this. So he went back to the president. He said, Mr. President, he said, God has blessed us with a little daughter. And this is a pro-communist guy. And uh, he said, uh, 
Mr. President, we wanted, we were planning to have a little dedication. We wanted if you would mind coming to the dedication. And the president, which was just a little bit five foot two high, pulled himself up and said, I was best man at the wedding. Of course I will go to the dedication. Where were you planning to have it, Townsend? Well, he said, Mr. President, he said, you're such a busy man. I thought if we just had it at the palace here, it would save you going anywhere. <laughs> That's where they had the dedication. We have every reason to believe that, that uh, President Cardinals came to faith through Townsend eventually. What a blessing. The angel went before him, but it doesn't just stop there. It says... I will guard you on the way. Now, the very fascinating thing is that we don't sometimes realize this, but if you don't have a capital A in your Bible on angel, then they've missed out on something because, you see, this was a Christophany. This was Jesus who was going to be the angel. And we have several, several wonderful illustrations of how Jesus, a Christophany, happened in the Old Testament. It, he did it when he came to Abraham. He did it with Hagar, as you will recall, and with Lot and Jacob and Moses and Balaam and Joshua and Gideon, it says, and the Lord or the captain of the Lord's host. This was Jesus in the Old Testament. And then, of course, we come to that very profound statement in uh, Corinthians where Paul writing and trying to help the Corinthians understand just how exceedingly important this message that grew out of the Old Testament was to them in their New Testament age. And he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, talking about the exodus out of Egypt. And then he goes on, he says, And for all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? Christ was in the Old Testament. And so here we have this amazing connection that the angel was going to be Christ going before Israel as they went into the promised land. I believe that 140 years is a great time to think, what is the promised land that God has for us in the future? What does he have for Kerrang Baptist? We've seen how very strategically God has used this center in this whole geographical area here. And he wants to do it again, I do believe. And it says, and I will guard you along the way. What a precious thought that God wants to guard us He wants and stand with us. He wants to stand beside us. He wants to stop us from being hurt from the, from the right, from the left, from the back. And uh, interestingly, of course, in Exodus chapter 13, we, we see this in a very real way because it says in verse 21, And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud. In the pillar of cloud was the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He was there. And uh, he was there by day to lead them on the way. And the pillar of fire by night gave them light that they might travel day and night. God was there to protect them. And so when later on he says, 
to Moses, he says, I am going to go before you, I am going to guard you, and then notice what he says, I am going to bring you to the place I've prepared. God wasn't caught short in this whole story. He knew exactly what was going to happen. God is not caught short for Kerrang. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He's got a plan for Kerrang. I like that. That encourages me. As I look back uh, over Ruth and my life together, as we see what God has done for us, as you pray for us, you know, we couldn't have even guessed what God asked us to do, the places he's asked us to be, in a sense to represent you. We couldn't have done it. God had a plan. And I have to tell you, I'm excited as I look back to have walked into that plan. And I can't believe sometimes some of the places I've been, the people I've met, the people I've been asked to minister to, I can't believe it. I could never have guessed. But God has that for you too. And so here is the great promise he says to you this morning. Behold, I'm sending my angel before you to guard you on the way, to bring you to the place I've prepared. That's a precious promise. But then God didn't stop there. He went on. He said, that's my side of the deal. I will do that. Now he flips over and he says, this is your side of the deal. He says this, be on your guard before him and obey his voice. He said, if you want me to guard you, if you want me to go before you, if you want me to protect you, then it's very simple. You have to be obedient. And if you're obedient, then this is what he says. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since in him is my name. And that's where we know that this was God, because he said, in the one that's leading you is my name, is God, is Jesus. And so he's asking us to be obedient so that we might follow him. And then he goes on and he says this, If you will truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. What a promise this morning as we go into a very dark age in our society and we think it's impossible. He says, no, no. He says, I want you to keep moving. I want you to trust me. And he says, as you're obedient, then I'm going to manifest myself to you and I will do it. And then he goes on, and uh, that's a very fabulous chapter. Uh, take it to heart. Read chapter 23 of Exodus and see how God, in a very, very special way, provided for Israel and told them he'd watch over them. He said, in a very godly, logical, wonderful way, he said, you know, he said, you're going into the, you're going into the promised land. He said, they're all your enemies. There's the Hevites, the Perizzites, and the, all of these Jebusites, all of these people, they're your enemies. He said, I won't wipe them out at once. I'll just do it little by little by little. And we need that kind of mindset too in our walk with God. He, sometimes we'd like him to take care of it all at once. And graciously, just step by step, he takes care of situations in our lives. And some of you have been praying for things for many years and you still haven't seen the answers to some of those prayers. God's still in the business of little by little by little. Be encouraged. As I think of the fellowship here, I want to encourage you. And God can do it in the most incredible ways, you know. It says, 
later on in the chapter, God says, I will send the hornets ahead of you, that they may drive out the Hevites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little. Sometimes we get impatient, but I want to encourage this morning not to be impatient, but to hang in there for what God wants to do for you and encourage you in this place. If we flip over to the New Testament, we can find almost a wonderful, wonderful parallel to this passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, he who has my commandments, because if we go on in, the, in this, this wonderful chapter in the, in the Old Testament, you'll find there was 12 commandments that, Jesus, that God gave to Israel to look after, be careful as they went into the, into the promised land. And Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, he said, if you will keep my commandments, you will show that you love me. We love Jesus by being obedient to him. And I believe that one of the greatest needs in the Christian church here in Australia today is that we've got a lot of people who name the name of Jesus, but they're not living obedient to him. We're called to live obediently. We're called in this verse here, says, which I like, when it says, be on guard towards him and do not be rebellious to him. The Berkeley translates it, says, mind his presence and heed his suggestions. I love that. Because God, many, many times, just gives suggestions to us. And we don't know where it's going to take us, but we need to follow those suggestions because it's in those suggestions that God makes something very beautiful and sometimes far bigger than we ever thought. So I encourage you, as God's people this morning, to walk obediently. Have a passion to walk obediently. And he will, he will do things that, uh, just amazing. And I remember I had this burden for the support of our of our uh, missionaries, and I still have a burden, and I'm anxious to see uh, some more business people get into gear. And uh, I remember I had this 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 thought, and I went to the investment committee, and I said, instead of just investing this money we've got, why don't we start a business? And they said, what kind of a business did you have in mind? I said, a Christian funeral business. They said, what do you know about it? I said, I know nothing about it, but I know a fellow up at Kerrang, and uh, I think uh, he could help us. So they said, well, you find out about it. So I rang up Trevor, and uh, Trevor said, uh, um, well, he said, you can't come right now, David. He said, I, I'm just going to Adelaide. I said, Trevor, I cannot believe it. I've just bought a ticket to Adelaide. So I met up with him in Adelaide, and we sat at a finger-licking joint, and... <laughs> His first words to me were, he said, so, so you want to start a funeral business, do you? I said, how did you know? He said, well, what else would you want to talk to me about? Uh, <laughs> and I said, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. And as a result of that very simple thing, God has put this thing together. Isn't that amazing? But he's got some thoughts about this church too. And I think they're a lot more important than maybe you've thought. Don't disregard. Don't disregard it. Sometimes he tells you to do things and it doesn't seem all that easy. I had a problem with one of my co-workers when I was in Papua New Guinea, so I'll be very honest with you. And I didn't know what had happened. I had no idea. 
And so I just felt the Lord saying, go and talk to him about it. Well, I really hesitated and I didn't want to do it. But eventually I thought, I've got to do it. So I went and I talked to my colleague and he said, no, no, no. He said, it's not, no, it's not like that at all. Then I felt very foolish about it and I thought I totally missed the mark. Um, but then we were just going out to the village. I just got in the plane and this guy comes riding up on his motorbike and wants to talk to me. And the pilot wasn't very happy because I had to get out of the plane. We're ready to go. And, he, and right there he said, David, he said, let's put it right, he said. And we put it right there. And it was beautiful. I was so glad that I had done it. And, you know, very, very pleased that I'd done it. 25 years later, I was doubly pleased because his son walked down the aisle to marry my daughter. <laughs> precious, precious. If God's speaking to you, do it. And you'll be surprised what God will do. Be encouraged in your walk with God to be obedient. Whatever he tells you to do, mind his presence. You see, he's given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. That's the gift that he's given to us. And he's indwelled us so that he might lead us and he might guide us. And then I love that translation. It says, and heed his suggestions. He's going to speak to our hearts. He's going to speak to our minds and tell us. And I believe he's in the process of doing that with the church here. I've had the privilege in recent days meeting with the elders. And we've talked about some of these things. And I believe that maybe God's got a big vision, far bigger than what you've thought, that he wants to use in this district, amongst the people of this community, and to reach out, not only here, but out to the very ends of the earth. May God bless you as his people. May you have just a passionate desire to walk obediently. But you see, finally, let me state it another way. Obedience equals life. Disobedience equals death. That's how God said it to Moses. He said, if you will do what I tell you, it will be life, but it will be a curse and death to you if you don't. So we are blessed to be a people who can know the blessing of God in a very, very unique and a very, very special way. So God wants to do that. And he reminded us very clearly in the scriptures of what happens to people who are disobedient and the people who are obedient. Remember how it was that Samuel came to, he came to uh, King Saul and he said, you know, Saul, back when Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites, they fell on our people and they killed many. And on that day, God said, I said, I'm going to wipe them out for doing what they did to my people. Now he says, Samuel says to Saul, the day has come. Go and wipe out the Amalekites. And uh, so uh, they went to battle. But you know, he didn't do it completely. He wasn't completely obedient. And so they kept some of the cattle, they kept some of the sheep, and they kept King Agag alive. And so Samuel comes and he says, why didn't you do what I told you to do? Oh, he said, that wasn't me, that was the people. And Samuel says, when God speaks to you, you can't blame anyone else. You are responsible. Why didn't you do it? And then he went on to say, oh, well, we've kept the cattle. We'll have a big sacrifice to the Lord. And that's when we have those, those memorable words where he said, Saul, to obey 
is better than sacrifice. Interesting. So we see that this was the way that God was setting the stage for Saul and for David and to see the whole thing come together. Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites. If you just end the first book of Kings, you don't read in the next book because the next book tells you a very fascinating story. It tells how that King Saul and his sons were out on Mount Gilboa on that great battle day. And as they were in the midst of the battle, Saul was struck and he didn't want to die at the hands of the Philistines. And so he called this young fellow across and he said, he said, I want you to kill me. I don't want to, I don't want to be killed by, by the hands of the Philistines. And uh, he killed him. And he went off to tell David that he was now king because Saul was dead. And David said, how do you know? He said, well, I was on the mountain. And he said, he called me over when he was struck and he was going to die. And he said to me, run me through. Kill me. I don't want to die at the hands of the Philistines. And he asked me the question. He said, who are you to this young man? He said, I am an Amalekite. The very people he should have wiped out, wiped out Saul. Uh, that's a very amazing insight that God has kept for us in Scripture. Obedience equals life. Disobedience means death. So this morning, my heart's desire is to encourage you to walk obediently and see the miracles that God wants to do in your personal lives, in your families, and in this church. May these coming years be a testimony built on what he's done in the past to let you be a wonderful light on the hill, wonderful salt to savor a very hurting and sick and demoralized society. May God bless us all and give us the courage to walk obediently in our day and in our generation. Shall we pray together? In the quietness of this moment, as we reflect on the goodness of God through these years. For some here this morning, thinking back to the moment you came to faith through this fellowship. For others who you were prayed for and blessed and encouraged by those in this fellowship. As we think of those issues that have impacted us through these many, many years, our prayer, Father, is that uh, we would, by faith, stand on the evidence of your love and of your power and of your provision so that as we look to the future, we as a church, as a fellowship, would count for you in a big way. That you'll take, as it were, the five loaves and the two fish that we have to offer that you take them, that you would multiply them, and you'd feed the thousands. So, Father, this morning, as an act of dedication, would you hear our prayers? Father, for those who you've spoken to in a deep way with a concern to walk obediently, I pray that your spirit 
would speak into their hearts and their lives, that they might sense your nearness and your power. And for those, Father, who wonder what you want to do with their lives, may they also recognize that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, but the gift of God, that you might take us and that we might be the product of your, the outworking of your spirit in our lives. Father, we thank you that in that very same scripture we're told that you've prepared the good works that we should work in beforehand. You've already prepared them. We are anxious to walk into them today. We ask all of these things in your powerful name. Amen.